flip this track again, y'all. Welcome into a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride. You can find me on the Twitter sphere at TJ McBride NBA. You can follow my work at Mile High Sports. And sitting to my right, as always, is Mr. Brendan Vogt. What up, man? TJ, what's going on, dude? Not too much. Coffee in my hand. Nuggets are making things interesting. We are the door has not been slammed yet, as Michael Malone so eloquently put. Indeed. The door has not been slammed yet. It's been interesting since day one, really, man, which we'll talk about that later in the podcast. Game one, day one might actually come back to have some serious implications here down the stretch. It really but, could because yeah. all of a sudden when you look at the standings for this Denver Nuggets team they are just one game out of the playoffs behind none other than the Utah Jazz hmm. who of course have had multiple draft day trades that have netted the Utah Jazz some very very high quality players if you hadn't heard. Wait which trades did they make with the Jazz? This is like Danovan Mitchell fellow or oh, something. He plays know. for the Galaxy right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, they have become the core for this Utah Jazz team who is making a surprise push for the playoffs. Um, suddenly, the Nuggets could look back at their very first game of the season in Utah when they led by as many as 14 points, proceeded to give away 10 turnovers in the fourth quarter to lose that game <laughs> that they absolutely should not have lost. And because of that, the tiebreaker is going to have to go, have to go down to division record, which makes every division game from here on out for the Nuggets, which there are quite a few, very, very important as well. So let's just kind of get into where the Nuggets are at in terms of this playoff picture. So again, they are just one game back now after being two games back just two wow. days ago. Wow. So one game back of the eighth seed of the Utah Jazz after the Jazz lost the Spurs in overtime last night, and the Nuggets were able to pull off a very, very important win against the Washington Wizards. What was kind of your takeaway just from last night's insanity that is the Western Conference's seeds three through ten of all the seven games that played last night? Uh, first takeaway, if this isn't immediately clear to you yet, the Wizards are not better without John Wall. I'm ready for that narrative to die forever. I understand that the conversation. Maybe I'm not. Really? They're not better with, They're not better without him. He's too damn talented. Right. Look, and when all of a sudden it's a close game and you need a dude who can go get a bucket, John Wall would have significantly helped that team last night. That's so but insane. there is tangible things to take away from this run without John Wall that maybe there is a stylistic change that they could do, all uh, kind of like the Toronto Raptors did this year. I agree. I where agree. you play with the same talent, but you learn to redistribute their efforts in different ways. They've That's stum- my only thing. I agree. There's a nuanced discussion to be had there. They've stumbled into a better approach to basketball without John Wall, but they're not a better team without John Wall. And last night, as the Nuggets are holding this team to, I think it was 43 first half points. I don't know yeah, if it was rough. Something like that. And the Wizards just couldn't buy a bucket. All, all I could think was, man, this would be a different game with John Wall in there. John Wall was not in there. And of course, the Nuggets were without Gary Harris. So this was a very, very, very big win, TJ. It wasn't a convincing one, but again... <laughs> but it was a win. Yeah, and we're... And at this point, wins are wins. Like, this is a binary situation now. It's not as much about how you get the wins at this juncture of the regular season. It's just getting them. I completely agree, man. And there's there's so many questions to be answered about this Denver team. How, how do you play Jokic Millsap together? Um... Is Jamal Murray a real point guard? What all that stuff is? Is Will Barton actually a pl- positive player? All that stuff goes I have out. A the lot window. of thoughts on Will Barton. I'm um, two in this game, and we will because he was very good lot. in this game. Yeah. Another one of my takeaways. And there was but, a lot of good quotes he had to Chris Dempsey after the game too. Yep, and we'll get to those. But yeah, I guess just we're at the point in the season where it doesn't matter how you get a dub, just get one, and they did. 
So looking at the rest of the Nuggets season, they are going. They have nine more games remaining. <laughs> they play eight playoff teams and the Clippers in a game that they absolutely have to get to make sure that they are one game separated eight. further from the Clippers. So while yes, it's eight of the nine are playoff teams, you're essentially playing nine of nine playoff teams because the one team that isn't a playoff team is going to essentially be a playoff matchup for the Nuggets to make sure right. they have that separation from the Clippers, who they now lead after last night because the Clippers also lost last night. Who so the Clippers are now a full game and a half back of the Nuggets from the tenth seed to the ninth seed. So that that's a little bit of breathing room, right. but getting that win later in the year will be a gap that they absolutely need to give to themselves. So that'll also be basically a playoff game. So the last nine games are going to be playoff games. You have five of these nine on the road. So you only have a five road game, four home game split now. This isn't the most catastrophic. You have seven games in a row right. on the road trip left. Everything's going to go awry. The Nuggets are two and two on their road trip, which isn't great, but they basically need to win out or maybe lose only one more game from here on until the end of the road trip. Correct? Yeah, just about. I mean, I like let's play it safe. Let's just assume that what happened last night with Utah and the Clippers losing at the same time is an anomaly, right? And a rarity. You kind of have to take it that way because everyone keeps winning. I'm of the mind that the Clippers are about to meet a very brutal part of their schedule and are about to fall off a cliff. I agree. But at the same time, everyone keeps winning, so you just can't work under that mindset. I also thought that at some point, Ricky Rubio would not be able to score off the bounce the way he has. That has not stopped yet. And suddenly, the Jazz continue to keep rolling, and they have like they have the softest schedule going. This is a downy soft schedule to finish for the Utah Jazz. And even their up coming matchup here with Golden State, they're going to catch the Warriors without Curry, without Durant, without Clay still, right? Yeah, so, without Clay. So, uh, yeah. Good for you, Utah. We'll see what happens. I mean, what's ridiculous is that Golden State still has the talent to make that a game without, even if Draymond does not play. They could play without four All-Stars and there's still enough of an NBA team there to not be bad. Like, I do think that they could make this thing happen, but at the same time, man, I'm so sick of aging JaVale McGee going for a weak side blocks that he cannot get to and then falling and having Curry roll his ankle again or knee I should say you don't root for an injury for anyone but it it stinks that it's Curry like he before this Durant thing and before the 73 win team Curry was one of the most likable athlete stars unlikely stars ever and coming out of Davidson it, it was really hard not to root for him and you don't want injuries to happen ever, but the demise of Golden State, like the last thing you want is it's because Curry keeps getting hurt. Yeah, I don't want this to be an asterisk season, especially if the Rockets can make a run at this thing. Yeah. If the Rockets can really push the Warriors, I do not want it to be because Steph Curry was hurt and not playing. Agreed. I want this to be a legitimate battle between two just in un- incredibly talented teams that I have not seen in my lifetime that no one's really seen in their lifetime. I do not want that to have an asterisk because of Steph Curry injury. But regardless, if the, if the Warriors were to win that game, and the Nuggets were to take care of business in Philly, all of a sudden, TJ, the Nuggets would be where? Yeah, so as of Monday night, after the Nuggets play Philadelphia, if Utah does lose, like we said, to Golden State, and the Nuggets find a way to beat Philly in Philly, the Nuggets would be the eighth seed in the Western Conference by virtue of tiebreaker again, because they have a, they have the, the divisional tiebreaker over the Utah Jazz for now. They still need to win their division games to hold on to it, because they only lead by two losses. Um, they're 6-6 six and six in division, Denver is, and Utah is 6-8 and eight in division, so it's not like they're that far separated. They need to continue winning their division games, but they would have the tiebreaker 
so if they were tied up right now at this juncture in the season. Right. So let's look down the rest of the schedule. They play at Philadelphia and then at Toronto on a back-to-back. Those are the next two games. It's Monday and Tuesday. They then play. Uh, they don't play until Friday in Oklahoma City. So they get another good stretch of, of rest right there. Then they come home for a three-game homestand against Milwaukee, Indiana, and Minnesota. They then go to the Clippers, back home for Portland, and then to Minnesota to end the year. The Nuggets need to win seven of these games to actually lock themselves into a playoff spot, in my opinion. And right off the bat, you're looking at that Raptors game. That's a back-to-back in Toronto. And that they could win that game. They could. But if you're going to do the scheduled game that we like to do, it's it's hard to look at that objectively and... and and not write an L down. So this is the one thing I will say. The Raptors are right now four and a half games up on the Celtics with ten with ten games to go for the one seed. It's going to take a hell of a lot for the Raptors to somehow fall out of the one seat. So there could be a situation where the Raptors get another win and decide, you know what, we're getting the Nuggets on a back-to-back who are already a bad road team in the later portion of their season-long seven-game road trip. Let's rest guys this game. That would not surprise me if Toronto decided to rest guys against the Nuggets on that game for the Nuggets back-to-back because you could still get a win, still get rest um, for your guys as Toronto and be able to separate yourselves further, right. even with all those things playing in your favor. Especially so, with the Kyrie news exactly because Kyrie will likely have a knee scope that'll keep him out for a couple weeks so it is looking like there could be an opportunity for the Nuggets to steal a win on a back-to-back in Toronto not because they're better than Toronto because they're not there's there are two teams that I would put firmly above Toronto in the NBA but still that's the funny thing about this Nuggets team you look at this schedule down the stretch and you're almost like I feel a little bit better about the the Toronto game and the Thunder game than I do about the Grizzlies game or the Bulls game. Yeah. And that sounds like a joke, but you, I, I kind of mean that. It's one of those things <laughs> where like, I'm kind of happy the Nuggets play nine playoff caliber teams to finish the year because they're going to have to show up for every single one of those games. And they play to their competition. So, I mean, it's... As far as getting them ready for the playoffs, they have to get in first, but that is ideal. So other than other than the Raptors game, because you do, do see that as a loss, are there any other losses you see outright on this schedule? Outright? No, I'm obviously that that Thunder game is a little scary. That Thunder game is the one that really scares me. And then the road game against Minnesota is tough to finish the year to out. Finish the year so out. the what this is the hard thing about games to finish the year. The Nuggets could literally need that division game just to get the division win to separate themselves from Utah to get a playoff spot. Right. Like there could be like that last Herculean effort at the end of the regular season to get in because it's the last game of the season. And if things get so really weird, shoot. yeah, it could be literally between those two teams for the eight seed. It really and, could and be so. Those are the the two games that jump out at me right off the bat. But like you said, Teach, I mean, every single one of these games should jump out at you. None really of them are should. Gonna, there's no easy games left. There are no easy games. The game that worries me the most is going to be at home against Portland in between two road games. I, I call me crazy, and I am. <laughs> I feel I felt good about that one since we did that schedule podcast a couple weeks ago. Ah, it just it's it's, it's an MB, so it's after an NBA TV game. All right. It's coming off of a three game homestand where you had to go to L.A. and get a gut wrenching win likely to be able to pull that off. And then you got to come home after an emotional game to play another emotional game. That's a that's a divisional game that could absolutely come into play when you could be looking ahead of the Timberwolves. That game at home against Portland terrifies me. I just think with everything that's gone down between Portland and Denver in these last couple of years, if you can't get up for that game, if you're looking you past to that be a playoff game, team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I look at that. As as a real playoff game, sort of no matter what, it's just yeah. important that Denver 
like lays the smack down in that game. I so. also am terrified of that Clippers game because the Clippers game because you're coming off of a home stand and also the home game against Milwaukee, who is also battling for playoff positioning right now. They yeah. have been locked into a playoff battle. Whenever teams come home after a long road trip, not only does Denver first have to battle the altitude now because they are not acclimated to, to the Colorado altitude, they also true. have to get over the fact that they're going to kind of take a deep breath because they're finally back at home. That's true. So many teams drop home games the right after going on a long road trip just because they've been exhausted they have to reacclimate in denver as a very weird little you know wrinkle as to what denver is and they get comfortable complacency has been the killer of this nuggets team and if you get complacent and lose that home game to milwaukee that could be very very detrimental to this team down the line definitely although in my mind the bucks are just such a an unknown entity like they're they're all over the place and the Nuggets should beat them because the Bucks can't hit a three to save their lives there is no three-point shooting on this team outside of Chris Middleton and guess what Chris Middleton's taking like two threes a game and is like the top five in mid-range jumpers this year and so like they're not getting any three-point shooting so Denver should win that game outright and Denver's good at home I mean they're not unbeatable at home but they're one of the better teams in the league so you're you, that's a good point about coming back from the road trip so if there was a trap game in there um, it might that be Milwaukee that one. one is the one. But again, you'd like to think this team like isn't worried about trap games because you got to look at every single one of these. Yeah. Right. So let, before we get into this Wizards game, which we're definitely about to get into, do you think the Nuggets can scrape seven wins out of these last nine games? Can they? Sure. Absolutely. Will I, they? I don't think so. I'm going to stick with my original prediction that they just missed the playoffs. But again, like we're debating the margins here between these teams. So, right, so if, if the Nuggets ended up with the seven seats somehow, I wouldn't be surprised. And so yeah, TJ, they could rattle off. They they could go eight of nine here, but I I I see the Raptors loss happening. I'm worried about those Timberwolves and Portland games a little bit. So I don't know, man. I I, I I'm gonna stick with my they missed the playoffs. And so let's also outline one other thing real quick. When it comes to tiebreakers, the Nuggets want the Pelicans to fall near them. The Nuggets want the Jazz to fall near them. They do not want the Clippers to be anywhere near them, and they do not want the Wolves anywhere near them. The Clippers have already locked up the tiebreaker. The Wolves are a little bit of a weird situation. The Nuggets are down 0-2 in head-to-head tiebreaker, but they play them two more times to finish the year, once on April 5th, once on April 11th to end the season. So you can then conceivably tie the head-to-head tiebreaker, but that for the Nuggets to get the divisional tiebreaker, which is the tiebreaker that decides these matchups beyond head-to-head matchups, is division record, which the Nuggets need the Minnesota Timberwolves to lose their only division matchup left, which is to the Utah Jazz. The Nuggets need to beat the Wolves, both of their head-to-head matchups, and win every single other of their division matchups left, which would be Portland, as well as both Minnesota games, and I believe oh, okay, and Oklahoma see, City, yeah, so that's not gonna happen. which is the end of their seven-game road trip. Um, that is pretty much locked up, because also, even if they tied division record at this point, the Wolves have already locked up the conference record tiebreaker against the Nuggets, so that tiebreaker is essentially locked up with one more Nuggets divisional loss or one more divisional win by the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. So uh, you can pretty much write out the Clippers or the Timberwolves as tiebreaker that the Nuggets will not have in a very short amount of time. Woof. Yeah, right. that's a mouthful. A lot of words. I'll Ooh. take your word for it. Um, I'm just <laughs> mad at the Pelicans and the Spurs for ruining this divisional playoff dance party that would have happened. I know. Right? Right. It would have been so great if everybody... I, I had, to start the year, every Northwest um, team making the playoffs this year. I mean, how wrong... Even if that doesn't happen, it wasn't clearly wasn't a bad take. We should talk about the Wizards. This is what happens when you don't make a rundown, folks. We just did. We just looked ahead before we looked before we looked backwards <laughs> to the game that just happened. Do you want to talk about the Wizards a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's talk about this Wizards game because I really was impressed in this game. Um, 
First of all, Gary Harris is out, and that is going to be very, very detrimental because he is your leading scorer and the guy that really is the second in command to make this offense function. So without Gary Harris, the Nuggets needed to, rep- to rely heavily on Will Barton. Yes. Will Barton was fantastic in this game. And they needed that, man. They needed him in every way. And there were defensive lapses. You will not get me up here arguing that he didn't struggle from time to time. But there were legitimate defensive plays that he made that the Nuggets absolutely needed him to make to win this game. Absolutely. He had three blocks. If I, yeah, he had three blocks and a steal to go with seven rebounds and three assists and 23 points on 12 shots. And one of those blocks followed a three-pointer of his own at the towards the end of the game. That block coming on Ubre essentially that sealed was, the game. Huge right. that corner so, three that was huge for him to block that shot. Yeah, and Barton hitting the shot prior, we've seen that before. While we've seen the misses as well, but to see him then sort of hustle to make the winning play on the other end, not that Barton's hustle is ever in question, but oh, he's certainly he's certainly not a defensive stopper. So that was highly encouraging. And given that Millsap was ailing and had probably his worst game as a Nugget, Wilson Chandler came out flat, uh, and Gary Harris was out. Denver would have been screwed without a good game from Will Barton. Well, I mean, think about this way. The Nuggets hit 17 threes. They were 17 to 34 from three, and they only scored 108 points. Yeah. Like, good. that speaks to entirely what this game was, and what it was was that the Nuggets struggled to score at the rim. No idea why. I don't think it was marching Gortat or anything that the that the uh, Wizards were doing to make it difficult for them, but the Nuggets just weren't able to get the same high pr- high percentage looks that they normally get, and they weren't getting the same production out of, out of a lot of these guys. Like, up until the very end of the game, Nikola Jokic was like 3 of 12 at halftime shooting was really struggling and even Will Barton 5 of 12 shooting but somehow managed to get 23 points on 12 shots he was 8 of 8 from the free throw line hit 5 of 7 of his 3 and that was big the Nuggets finished 17 of 18 from the stripe for 94% Washington just 10 of 14 you're looking at a game where both teams hit half of their three pointers where neither teams really have it going you got to get those free points and Barton did yeah they outscored so the Nuggets outscored the Wizards by 19 points from the free throw and three point line combined that right there is what was this game Game. That is what completely singled it out. Also, in addition to that, the Wizards had 17 turnovers while the Nuggets had just 10. Yeah. Even though their shots weren't falling inside of the three-point line, which they were absolutely running hell down from th- from beyond the three-point line, the way that they were able to overcome their offensive inefficiencies that they were having in the half court and just not really able to get to the rim and score a high clip was because they were not turning the ball over and they were forcing turnovers on the other end. Yeah. And because of that, they finished with, what, five extra shots? Yeah, they had five extra shots over the Wizards in this game. Yeah, and that's how you win despite being out rebounded despite being out assisted and when despite not really having and they shot a worse percentage yeah wizard shot 47 and a half percent from the field the nuggets shot 43 and a half percent from the field yeah a lot of that being that third quarter that went disastrously for denver hit your threes Um, don't turn the ball over and get as many free throws as you can get and you can beat teams in any situation absolutely and yeah i mean man i just can't i can't stop looking at the free throws because this was such a clunky game and Mm -hmm. being able to pick up those easy points where they come free points really in this scenario but I'm looking at the lead tracker here, TJ, and this is such a Nuggets game. Like 80% of this, they are in total control and yeah. absolutely dominating. But you see those little bl- blips towards the end of the third and in the middle of the fourth. And I wrote it in the recap. It's like the Nuggets flirted with their their biggest crush, their oldest crush, total catastrophe. Yeah, They can't put four quarters together. They have to make you think like, you know, it, it, the, the, that collapse in the third quarter, despite that being a quarter they typically play well in, was to be expected almost, right? 
Yeah, but I, I honestly don't feel like this is one of those things where you can look at a specific moment and be like, they struggled here, and this is why they did not play hard. I don't think it was an effort thing. I don't think that it was a situation where the Nuggets put themselves in the spots where they could actually allow the Wizards to get, get back in. I thought the Wizards just started hitting their shots and got a couple stops. Yeah. I thought the Wizards just played solid basketball for a yeah. stretch in the third quarter and really opened up the game to allow themselves to be close. The Nuggets should have put this game away early, and they didn't, and that's fine because this is a playoff team and the Wizards that are also fighting for playoff seating right now so everybody was playing with everything they had i genuinely thought that it was more so the wizards were just playing well more than the nuggets were playing badly or allowed them back into the game and not only that the nuggets responded to that big run because this is a team that had like the wizards have playoff experience they know what it's like to push for for the playoffs and to be able to gut check late in games and gut out wins like that this is not news to them anymore so the nuggets they were always going to have a run come back at them in my opinion and they they answered it very, very well, and I think that was the most surprising thing. And I'm currently just ridiculously deep, way too deep, in this article where I'm basically trying to outline what Nikola Jokic being aggressive tangibly means. And I thought that third and fourth quarter was exactly what Nikola Jokic being aggressive meant. Nikola Jokic's assists finally started coming back into the game. In that fourth quarter, you saw his scoring and his post scoring come back in after being three of 12 in the first half. He finishes 10 of 21 from the field. So he was scoring from the three point line. He was hitting mid range shots on the roll. He was getting offensive rebound putbacks. He was making plays for his teammates. Nikola Jokic being aggressive. I don't want to spoil too much for the article here is mostly just being himself as yeah. weird and counterintuitive as that feels. It, it really is just being like, you know what, Nikola, don't worry about anything else that's happening around you. Not a damn thing. Don't worry about getting mills up touch don't worry about getting Jamal Murray a shot don't worry about you know whatever Bradley Beal is on the on the other end to you like go out there and just be you and Nikola Jokic did that and that was a big reason the Nuggets were able to stave off that run his resiliency his aggression him just being himself was the big reason the Nuggets really got back into this game I thought as well as Jamal Murray's timely shooting yeah Murray as well I this game sort of the expression that kept coming to mind for me was like springing the leaks or plugging the leaks in a wall like Denver with all the injuries like they can't seem to get their their starters on the court at the same time and moreover even when they're all playing together it seems like they have a hard time like they can't all be going off in the same game it's like they get one or the other yeah. right and this game was a good example of like first it was murray and then murray cooled off and then barton filled the hole and then barton you know cooled off and then it was jokic's turn and We've seen that a lot, just them sort of like taking turns, someone stepping up, right? It's so true because Jamal Murray had 20 points in the first half. Yep. He then proceeded to not score a point until I think the eight minute mark of the fourth quarter. Like he he went to a ghost for a quarter and a half, essentially. I, I, and once that happened, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to ask you about that dynamic because I noticed that as well. And it's happened a couple times this year in general, not just last night. Do you think that this team, this Malone led team struggles with feeding the hot hand? Like I think back to that Lakers loss in hmm. LA when Murray was a, like looked like he was about to go off for forty for like that three minute stretch and then he just didn't get the ball. No, I don't think that's what it is. No, I think I, and I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm like just it does make sense that. in the overall macro sense. That does happen from time to time. And I, I think it's more of a causality, uh, more so than just like because of a Michael Malone team they don't feed the hot hand. I think when you have five people who can eat up a defense at any given time, you're going to have moments where guys disappear. Yeah. I think that that's just a causality. It's just based on the roster construction the way it is. Right. But at the same time, Jamal Murray is an interesting case study because he disappeared, but he still got shots up. Yep. Like, I believe he was one of eight, or, uh, uh, 
throughout the second half until like the eight minute mark. Like he wasn't scoring. Like he was shooting. He just wasn't scoring. He wasn't making shots anymore. Right. And he's a streaky shooter. He's a young lead guard who doesn't create space very well, who plays off a lot of emotion. There's going to be a lot of a streaky shooting moments from Jamal Murray. I think what's most important is that you know he can score 20 points and yeah, a half. That's true. I think that's what I, because like, let's be real here. With the way the Nuggets offense was functioning in the first half, it was imperative that Jamal Murray had a game like that. Yeah, that wasn't like good Denver basketball. I was just Murray. Oh, the first half was awful. I was just Murray licking yeah. his chops. Yeah, because yeah, the Nuggets had, I believe, only like 48 points at halftime. Somewhere, somewhere I think they were north of that, but it wasn't. Like, oh, yeah, they had 55. But again, it was because Washington was hitting like 40% of their shots in the first half. Like yeah. they were just getting so many possessions. So, yeah, I agree with you. Um, just something I noticed and, and fans have asked me about, and I was curious what you thought. Uh, another th- another standout for me in this game were the two homies off the bench, Devin yes. Harris and Torrey Craig. I'm so happy you brought this up. Yeah, they were really, really good. 10 points, 11 points. Uh, I think they were like 8 for 15 combined from the field, something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're on the dot, 8 um, for 15. Yeah, really, really strong three game from, five from, three. from Torrey Craig. Really strong game from Torrey Craig. I, pe- this is... I- People don't realize this. Tory Craig, because of the way the 45 days work on his two-way contract, he has not practiced with the Denver Nuggets. Like, it's been a full season, and he has practiced maybe three or four times. Yeah. Like, he has had no hands-on training other than shoot-around with his coaching staff to become a better NBA player than he already is. The fact that he is doing this with absolutely no practice time and playing through injury for parts of the year in his rookie season is insane to me. Insane, and he was spectacular defensively. Oh, my God. Like, he didn't get a steal or a block. He deserved all of the steals and blocks because he was so disruptive. He was involved in every defensive play, pulling down big defensive rebounds, rebounds pushing the pace. He would take the ball down, get a rebound, and immediately start pushing. He wouldn't dribble the ball the length of the court, but he'd get to half court and then defer to push the pace. I was I was amazed Confident how good he was. and energetic, and in a night where Malone went to a short rotation and Malone and uh, Millsap was ailing, Plumlee really struggled off the off the bench. He was really bad. Lyles didn't play at all. Yeah, so. I'm thinking without some of the strong uh, stretches of play from Craig and, and even Harris a little bit, Denver is in trouble. I want to talk about Craig briefly. A couple of L's I just want to take publicly on this podcast. We, <laughs> I, as most people don't, did not understand this 45-day situation. And so we gave you this, we'll figure it out by the deadline. That's what we thought would happen. It didn't. We we, we were wrong about the Craig situation. Um, I also said it wasn't necessarily imperative for them to clear a roster spot by by the trade deadline to keep Craig around. I stand by that take, but I want to circle back and say I do fully acknowledge, and last night was a great example of the importance of having Tory Craig around. And why maybe like fans were saying, why why is a guy like Richard Jefferson taking up a roster spot when Corey Tory Craig could be in there? Last night was a great example because without Gary Harris the Nuggets are um, really not a great defensive team out not on the perimeter. All. And Craig just filled that gap perfectly. He gives you containment, at least. Yeah. He gives you some semblance of effort, length, and athleticism on the wing. Yeah. And I was talking to a Nuggets front office member last night on the phone a little bit, and he told me this idea where basically you don't look at guys as power forwards or shooting guards or small forwards. You kind of look at that in the Wilson Chandler mold of just a swing guy. Yeah. Having an additional swing guy who can hit threes, attack guys out off the closeout, yeah. off the dribble, and also defend his ass off yeah. is so important to every single team. I mean, even the Rockets. You go out and get Chris Paul. That is obviously the most important part of your offseason. The Rockets are not the Rockets without getting P.J. Tucker yes. and without getting Luke Mabamute. Like, flat out, you need those kinds of guys. I mean, there's a reason Armory 
Caspi has been talked about so much this year in Cleveland. Just having a guy who can play tw- play two, three, or four is quick enough to play with quick guys. He's strong enough to play with big guys and can just switch everything, play any position you need him to play, hit threes and attack closeouts. Those guys are invaluable to your team. Richard Jefferson, I'm sorry, is just no longer that person. Yeah. If I was the Nuggets, and this is me, this is not me calling out the front office, this is not me saying the Nuggets do anything wrong, but if it was me, I would be cutting Richard Jefferson and signing Torrey Craig for the playoffs. For the playoffs. I agree. And this is the thing. This could still happen. The Nuggets on a playoff push, first of all, Richard Jefferson is only signed for one year. You can cut the non-guaranteed or just ridiculously cheap contract that is Richard Jefferson right before the playoffs start because you're not going to get anything productive out of him yeah. when you can get more from Torrey Craig in that atmosphere. Yeah. That could still happen, and it would not surprise me if the Nuggets make the playoffs that it does happen. Right, that's it, what has to happen yeah. first, but if Craig's going to play like this, and, and they obviously... Need him. They, 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 they need, need him. this. Yep, and the bench has been so bad. I mean, he's not going to be an offensive threat but if he can flirt with 10, 11 points off the bench every now and yeah. then, I mean, that's huge. And he so, got to the line. He had two free throws on a clear path foul because, again, he was pushing the pace. Yeah. He stepped into a three and hit a three. He had a cutting dunk shot. He had just a take you off the dribble and hit a layup over you bucket. He had multiple things where you were like, he can score in multiple ways. He can defend potentially four positions on the court at any given time. Yep. And he's athletic enough to be a productive offensive player that knows his role playing alongside whoever he plays alongside. I love Trey Lyles and I will back up Trey Lyles at the end of time because I, th- I think what he has given the Nuggets this year has kept them above water when they needed him to be. And Word. I will never argue, argue that. I think that playing Torrey Craig over Trey Lyles last night was the difference between a win and a loss. I agree. And Genuinely. And that's, again, then that was sort of, uh, that's a good segue. Zero minutes for Trey Lyles. Yeah. Zero. Michael Malone has completely tightened up his rotation yeah. as we expected him to do pushing towards the playoffs. And he needs to because he needs to know what he's going to be playing with going into the playoffs. And let's be real here. It'll be more of a nine-man rotation because Gary Harris is out. So let's all pump the brakes a little bit and stop worrying about Michael Malone killing his players. That's not going to be the case. Let's just wait on that. But Trey Lyles, as productive offensively as he has been. Trey Lyles. Yes. Yeah. You don't get the same defensive aggression and production from Trey Lyles. No. Trey Lyles has been a, f- a fine defender this year. He hasn't been above average. He hasn't changed the tone of the Nuggets team defensively, but he's been a productive defender, you would say, right? Pretty, I mean, he's he's not like a he's liability. He's hurting yeah, them. Yes. Yeah, that's how I would. Torrey Craig has unlocked the Nuggets to be able to play a very switchable defensive unit. I love the fact that he is getting minutes. I love what he brought to the table. I love the aggression he put out there. I love how he pushed the pace. I think Torrey Craig, if the Nuggets make the playoffs, needs to be on the full-time yeah, roster. Especially, especially if Lyles is just going to go 0-for-1 from 3 like as he has been like yeah like it's just he's just not, not doing what he wants was yeah so and it forces you to play big if you're playing him and Mason Plumlee you're forced to play big yeah. when you play Tory Craig and you play with a smaller lineup and you can play guys like Barton and Wilson Chandler and Paul Millsap with the bench unit I think that it can mu- make you much more lethal than you would with Trey Lyles I do wonder though like if this was just okay Harris was out who's we need someone to sort of check Beal and be switchable out there. Like, sure. If was this just particularly circumstantial, or do we think there's a chance sort of Craig? Kind and of- sure, if they're playing the Spurs last night, it wouldn't surprise me if Lyles played right, instead right. of Craig. But right. at the same time, Michael Malone has an affinity for Craig. 
I mean, let's be real here. President of Basketball Operations has a a soft spot for Tory Craig. Tim Connolly does yeah. absolutely have a soft spot for him, and his teammates love him. Yeah. Like his teammates know that he gives everything he has. That's not to say that there is anything wrong with a Trey Lyles or anybody else on the bench who isn't seeing time. What I do think it shows is that there is a clear role that Torrey Craig fills for this Duggets team that they need him to fill for them to be at their best. Agreed. All right. Should um, we move on to something else? I think we pretty much got it covered here, man. Um Oh, one more thing. Sure. Even though Paul Millsap was sick, he played 25 minutes, barely scored, only took four shots, one of four from the field. He threw in five assists and was looking to make plays for his teammates. I, Beyond that, I thought that was important. I know he had a bad game, but no, no, I agree. Was, I thought that was really, really helpful. I, I thought his five assists were important. I love the underhand bowling pass he's been doing. I know it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Like, like Jokic has his water polo shot yeah. that he gets off of lob because he can't jump, and then you get the bowling underhand he's like playing cornhole. Yeah. Like, and then you get from Paul Millsap. It's, awesome. it's amazing. Yeah. I, I thought it was really important, and I think that if there's one person on this roster who knows the best way to make Nikola Jokic at his best, I believe that person is Paul Millsap. Me too. I don't think it's Michael Malone. I don't think it's even Nikola Jokic himself. I think it's Paul Millsap. <laughs> and I, uh, you, you'll see when my article comes out, there's a lot of good things coming. This is going to be a beast. It's going to be like a 2,000-word quotes with videos. It's a monster feature on Nikola Jokic. But I thought Paul Millsap really enabled this team to function well, even though he was struggling. I I thought he was passable defensively, even though he couldn't really breathe out there from the looks of things. And those five assists ended up leading the team. So, shouts Paul Millsap. Doing good things, man. All right. The two games you need to watch tonight. Western Conference playoff watchers. Minnesota Timberwolves at the Philadelphia 76ers. TJ, real quick, who wins? I am going to take Philly. I think Minnesota finally gets overwhelmed by just sheer talent because without Jimmy Butler, they just don't have as much talent anywhere near to what Philly has. I think this is finally a game they lose on the road tonight, which would be huge for Denver. I concur. Second game you need to watch. New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans are going to lose to the Rockets. They're going to lose to the Houston Rockets. They're playing in Houston in against Houston. the Rockets. We don't like, need to break that one down. Let's not get into let, Let's not overthink this too that much, would shall be a huge we? Huge win for New Orleans, but I was about to say, let's be real here. If Anthony Davis goes into Houston and beats the fucking Rockets, man, I, I, just, I, know. I just don't know. I, I, I might just get up and quit and be like, you know what? The Western Conference wins. The Nuggets don't. I forgot like, to tell you guys, I'm actually a Pelicans beat writer. <laughs> So see you later. Um, okay, last question, TJ. I'm gonna uh, Nuggets Sixers Monday seven o'clock Eastern five p.m. Mountain Time. Yeah, NBA TV game, right? Who wins? I'm taking Denver. Okay. They're rolling strong. And this is the thing. When this team gets confident and they're playing loose and there's not pressure around it, they're just playing. Because this is the thing. The best thing that could have happened to them, like we could look back on their loss to Memphis and their loss, their double overtime loss to the Heat. We could look back on that two-game losing streak as when the Nuggets threw all everything out the fucking window and just decided, you know what? There's no more pressure anymore. Yeah. Let's just go play basketball and Dude. they proceed to go nine and two in their it last It would be 11. the most Nuggets thing ever to somehow be like, just kidding, we're the seventh seed. Like, yeah. T- I, yeah I can't, I it just know. wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. <sighs> and at this point, they're so confident. And like, I go back to them being really, really loose when they were back in town against Detroit. You have Dempsey tweeting about how confident and loose they are against Chicago, how confident and loose they were before they played Washington. When this team just stops caring, they play so well like that's really what this comes down to this is a young team who is in their head sometimes as is to be expected from young teams and because of that they get the moment gets a little big for them because they make it bigger than it actually is that's why i wonder if if all of this like you just said pressure 
is has reverse effect in that they don't have time to breathe. Right? None of these games are it allowed all to become instinctual, not yeah, thought out. There's kind of no idea. there's no trap games because there's no thinking. You don't have time for that. Just go play basketball. Just go win. Yeah. All right, dude. Uh, I'm gonna go drive. I'm so broke. I feel you. Let's get out of here. Right. Uh, thanks again for listening to Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. We will be back on Tuesday with a special edition of it. We will be having a very, very interesting, hysterical, ridiculous. I I, I want to say lunatic in the best possible way, but I'm not sure if you'll appreciate that. I'll have to ask him when he gets on. But there will be a jazz writer that will be on. I'm not going to say who. I keep a little bit of mystery in the in the whole. It's not me. It's definitely not Brendan. That's your Bo. first hint. You are not a jazz beat writer, a Pelicans beat writer, and a Nuggets beat no. writer. I hate to break it to you. You don't get to play that many fences. <laughs> but on Tuesday, we will have a conversation where we basically break down all of the draft day trades the Nuggets and Jazz have had that ended the Jazz Gobert as well as uh, Donovan Mitchell. We'll talk about Jokic versus Gobert. We'll talk about Mitchell versus uh, Jamal Murray. We'll talk about this playoff race and the different optics of one team with um, pressure on them to make the playoffs, one team without any pressure at all. And we're going to you know, get, a, get a different gauge of the Utah Jazz throughout oh, the eyes of a Utah Jazz. RIP the comment section ahead of time oh, on that I'll tweet. Burn yeah. down Twitter with this one, I hope. It's going to be interesting. But that's all we got. Let's get vote out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. domestic appliance, what would you be? A plug. Definitely a plug.